voice days. Hello, everybody. Welcome to UAP Book Club at Quantum Witch Cafe. Today, I have my lovely book club people here with me. But before I get to them, I want to say thank you to anybody listening live later, um, to audio only, as well as on YouTube. Uh, Quantum Witch Cafe is sort of just your place to talk about all these anything you want, really, that's weird, strange, fringe, UAP, UFOs, all that stuff. But we kind of focus on books here, especially on book club duties. So today we're going to be talking, let's see, I have it so people can see, uh, Earth Light Revelation, UFOs and Mystery, Light Form Phenomena, The Earth's Secret Energy Force by Paul Devereaux. And uh, we also read about cappuccinos. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, that's what we're reading today, and we are joined today. Um, most of the other book club members were naughty, and they didn't read it. So um, we've got my three good students here. Um, I got Benny, Graham, Dan. How's everybody doing today? Good, thank you. Yeah, fine, thanks. I'm great. Thank you so much. I'm doing good. I just I feel out of practice because I feel like it's been so long since I've seen everybody. But um, it's all right. Uh, so right away, guys. So what is the book about? So if somebody's, you know, I'm putting a lot more of this on audio now. Um, so can you who wants to go ahead and describe the book, what it covers and kind of give like a summary of it or everybody can do it if you guys want. I'll have a quick go, I suppose. The The book really, um, hence the title, Earthlight's Revelations, is focused on Earthlight. So we're talking about strange light phenomena that have been witnessed globally and for centuries um, that fall under multiple categories of things that are just understudied and, and sometimes definitely unknown. These can be things like ball lightning, things within folklore like Will-O-The-Wisp and uh, earthquake lights, uh, all very... Like I said, understudied, very unknown and very mysterious and regularly and have always regularly been mistaken for for UFOs. And so there's a real good connection there between all of these these things. Yeah, these are these are things that have been sort of talked about. Um, I suppose you call them 14 uh, events. And there were certainly the types of things that, um, that, that Charles Fort would have picked up in his books back in the in, in the early part of the, the, the 20th century. Uh, and as Vinny says, it, it covers quite a few things. So yeah, you've got ball lightning, you've got these will the wisp type events, and the earthquake lights. There's a, the explanations for all of these in the book, and then there's a series of um, sort of just chapters which look at various sightings over the years and over the decades and even over the centuries. Uh, it goes back a fair way as well, right into history. So they've got accounts from the I think from the 1700s onwards, and possibly even earlier. Um, a lot, a lot of it's focused in Britain, but there's actually are chapters devoted to other places around the world i have to hold my hands up here and say i've only got halfway through the book it's actually quite involved it's not something you can just read overnight it's it's much more kind of detailed than that um and i'll pass it down for, for the rest of it <laughs> yeah i mean so that i'm not just repeating what you guys said i think it's worth emphasizing that when we say earth lights or ball lightning or we, we use these things interchangeably and, and the first thing i noticed in the book was actually there are a lot of different phenomena that contribute to, to this term, um, whether it's just like flashing on mountaintops, flashing in the sky, actual balls of light that emerge from the ground or the sea. Um, and sometimes they seem to exhibit intelligence and they move through metals and they, they 
there's one case in that was amazing that is in the book where they talk about one entering the cockpit of a of a commercial aircraft um, and just kind of sitting in it, which is, I mean, it must be wild to experience. And 100% that was reported as a UFO. Um, but the other side of it is where it talks about, you know, as Vinny said, one of the wisps talks about our cultural lens on these things and how we interpret these events as UFO events when actually they, they seem to be a, a natural earth phenomenon that was probably here a lot longer, a lot long. It was here way before we were. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, I need coffee. Um, and has been here forever. And the fact is that science doesn't understand the mechanisms which makes these things. It has some ideas, but we, we haven't been able to pin down exactly what they are or where they're from or how to make them. And there's so much potential in, in terms of energy systems from these things that it's just, it's mind blowing to me that scientists aren't running to this subject. And, and this book is 100% the place that people should start reading about this phenomenon. Absolutely. I, everything you guys said is spot on about the book. I do love that it covers, you know, around the world. It's not just focused in one area. I love that it has lots of maps and pictures in it because as somebody that might be more visual, like, you know, somebody can describe something beautifully and use a lot of great words, right? But the way our brain puts it together can kind of form these like individualistic like uh, pictures. So you might be thinking something in one head and um, one part, um, you know, one head might be thinking one thing and the, the, the event actually looked like this. So I appreciate the pictures from everywhere, especially the maps. Um, I tried to do a reading of this um, in Twitter spaces. I only got to chapter four before I got like a respiratory infection. So that was fun. Um, but um, I'm, I need uh, help pronouncing Welsh. Some of these are well. So, you and everybody else, apart from Gen <laughs> Generally, the rule is that if if there's something that you don't understand in Welsh, just kind of make a sound, and it's probably about that. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this Welsh name, so don't listen to my recording. Not alone. <laughs> but um, unless you're from Welshland, I guess you don't get it. Um, I do. One of the most interesting things to me about light phenomena around the world is that it ties into the culture of you know the people that are around these things and this is even in you know i'm in america so i think of like culture i don't see us it's very cultured but when i see things like north mountain and all or brown mountain and all these lights around the us i mean it, there is a lot of folklore around it you know um so but i just love how he goes back like what Graham said all the way back to like 1700s, 1800s, these different things that people were trying to interpret them as. I think that he does a great job of keeping like everything like straightforward. And as you said, it's very in depth. Um, but what always blows my mind is like, how do these things sometimes appear sentient and sometimes it's straightforward science? Like sometimes you're like, yeah, there's, you know, groundwater, there's all these minerals in the ground creating this, there's uh, plates there shifting. And that all makes sense. But then how does it transform from that just science to people having these full on experiences with consciousness? And sometimes it's just like a normal earth light. Um, what is the most confusing or interesting thing about these earth lights that you read in this book or in anywhere else? That's a really good question. I think what I liked about the book as well, before I directly answer that, is that he started off by going through the ball lightning, well, the wisp earthquake lights moved then into connections with ancient 
history and, and tales of this, then moved into UFOs and went right at the end, moves into consciousness. So it builds really well. Um, so there were many things through the book that I really picked up on. Um, I found the geological and tectonic aspects really interesting um, because some of the science that, that was discussed about the crystal bearing rocks, I've got it here, estimated that 10,000 to 100,000 volts per square meter could be produced by these crystals and things rubbing together in the earth. Uh, and it, with the work that we've done in Colombia, that connection, it just blows my mind. And, you know, things like that really stood out to me. Um, but then it goes into things about witnesses. In fact, can I just read this one passage? Because it, it blew my mind. It says, the electric column could affect the brain function of a witness standing within it while observing a light form. This would allow the possibility of explaining exotic UFO encounters where humanoids, abductions, and short periods of amnesia allegedly reported further energy fields surrounding life phenomena, uh, radiation-like effects of witnesses, and as well as on the immediately local physical environment. So they're talking about proper health effects that are related with close encounters with aerial phenomena or abductions, and that yet he's referring to that this could be potentially because of the power of a prosaic earth light and it's like mind-blowing that's that, that's just if, the two things we, let, let's i mean off the top of my head i can't think of them all but what are the what are the six observables we've got biological effects instantaneous acceleration um you know, oh. yeah there you go uh, you guys have more uh, equipment available to you so i'm gonna let you google them but <laughs> my my what one again is that so many of those observables are present with this that it's startling. And I'm not saying that all UFOs are this, but also I think people need to realize that this phenomena is so much more interesting than we realize. It's not just, oh, it's just swamp gas. It's, it's something that affects people on, on a really fundamental level. Um, you know, whether we're talking about magnetic connections um, between witnesses and the events themselves. But one, one, the most interesting thing for me so far was Ripperson Farm. So Ripperson Farm is a place in Wales that kind of experienced uh, kind of poltergeist activity. It's essentially a skinwalker ranch in Wales. That's what it's seen as. And so much has been written about it, but it kind of stops at the, you know, hearing the stories and the experiences. This book kind of puts it in a new frame by looking at the context, looking at the geological area, looking at what could have happened there. And, and that really stood out to me. And when I get back home to Wales, I, I kind of want to go and explore the place a little bit. Um, one, one of the startling events there was this place called Stack Rocks. And it's always been thought that there was a, an, an ET base underground at stack rocks because people would see these balls of light going into the cliff face basically when you look at this phenomena and you look at the geology of the area and you look at the kinds of things that can happen with electromagnetism in the brain it all seems to paint a pretty compelling picture that actually wales kind of has this this beautiful little hot spot of this phenomena that we're discussing today and it could be like a, a study site for it and, and like Vinny already painted the picture of, the amount of power in this phenomena, like we're, we're aching for more energy sources, for clean energy sources. And quite frankly, this stuff seems to be a bit of a Hail Mary. 
I think I'd draw um, a little bit of kind of a line here and just say, look, you know, just be quite cautious about taking everything in this book as kind of gospel and also something that explains everything to do with the UFO phenomenon. It clearly doesn't. It has a, a pretty good stab at actually trying to solve some parts of the equation. And it's probably a little bit part, it's a little part of the puzzle. And it no doubt, as with everything else in this weird and wonderful kind of issue that we're looking at in over, this, over the centuries and over the decades, that certain things probably do explain certain parts of it. But I think to try and say that, you know, earth lights are responsible for, you know, a vast amount of stuff. I've seen in the comments already that somebody says the Foo Fighters were, you know, balls of light. And I, I, I'm guessing that the, the kind of comparisons being drawn, that they're going to be, you know, earth lights. Now, my response to that would be, well, that's all very well, but why haven't these things been reported in the same areas where you've got allegedly something that's causing it? Why haven't, hasn't it been reported en masse since then? Um, you know, so it's a case of, yes, okay, it might explain certain things at certain times, but why can't it be re reproduced through the decades and through the centuries? Why is it only happening in a couple of places? Um, but the rest of the places, um, you know, it's only sporadic. Um, why isn't it happening more regularly? Why aren't people picking up on it? Um, now, that doesn't take away from what Vinny and Dan and, and their colleagues were doing out in Colombia, because clearly that's somewhere where it's happening quite regularly. And also we've got the Hellsman of the Lights up in Norway, uh, and there are other places around the world which are mentioned in the book, uh, which I've yet to get to, but that I know they're mentioned in the book because I've had a quick skim through the, the other half of it. Um, so there are places, but other places you can't necessarily say, look, that's to do you know, with earth lights. So whilst it's quite um, compelling, the book, and it's quite well written and it's quite well argued, it's not necessarily the case that everything that the, the author is trying to put across is completely valid. And I think I'll just take, like a lot of things that you read, that people uh, are pushing a certain narrative and trying to push their argument, just take it with a little pinch of salt and say, yeah, that's all very well. But actually until it's proven, um, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, then it's a theory and I'm afraid that's all it is. But that doesn't get away from the fact that this is really, really interesting. Um, and it's something that I probably should have read a long time ago. And I'm sure I've seen things like this as the subject of articles in 14 times over the years. But it's the first time it's ever been put in book form. I know there's an earlier version of this book. Um, and this is like a kind of, a, 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 you know, a, a, another title by the same author, um, which has a, a lot more information. So, you know, grab the first book maybe and read that as well. But this is, it's really worth reading, um, even just for food for thought. For thought. So yeah, for that for that alone, it's definitely worth putting on your shelf. I'm I'm really glad you're here today, Graham. Just for that reason, like you have so much experience looking at the Foo Fighters, and you're completely right. Like this stuff, if it was just geological, then it would be repeated. Yeah. But we know, like the the Hestalen stuff, it's kind of in an inactive time at the moment. Mm. Um, so. The, the amount of influences on this phenomena and the actual mechanism behind it is unknown. And one of the ideas that I really love, and if anyone's seen Nope, um, you'll, you'll kind of click with this. There's some interesting music kind of going on. Uh, <laughs> Ice cream man? <laughs> yeah. Get me one. Stop me and buy uh, one. Okay, it's, the you know, it's, yeah. it's a dude just driving around with his boot open and a cooler, and it's full of lava. Yeah. So, yeah. We have those in, in Arizona, like where, where I grew up, the Hispanic area. Or Mex you know, we were, my family's Mexican, so we could, we, everybody would run out the Paleta man. We'd run out, and he'd be on his little. <laughs> 
but that was some loud music. Um, go him. Sorry, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, yeah, it distracted me too. Um, so yeah, the the possibility that, that I love kind of throwing out there with this is the idea that what some of what we're looking at is a really really rare kind of extrema file, and there aren't really many of them left but they could possibly be popping up in places and that would explain the kind of the inconsistent results. And as humanity is kind of spread out over the globe, these things, you know, like kind of, I don't want to kind of use this language in a way to, to paint them like it, but just, just like wildlife, it hides from the kind of advancement of civilization, of human civilization. So, you know, when you look up at the clouds, they could be in the middle, who, who knows? Um, one thing I would do want to highlight uh, from the, the Hesperian studies is that in this book, it talks about um, the things that you can see. Whereas from Hestalin, we know that these things can move from the visible light range to infrared and to other areas of the electromagnetic spectrum that we can't see. So they could realistically be all around us. And the, the kinds of reports we're seeing from pilots on the East Coast saying, yeah, we could see something on radar, but we couldn't see it with our eyes. I mean, more scientific would need to be, studies would need to be done to, to establish that. I'm just putting the idea out there, but it's really intriguing that this mystery is just, it's there for the taking and no one's going for it. That's true. And a lot of people even capture, um, will be taking a picture of the sky and they'll find something in it they didn't see with the naked eye. And people that are doing, you know, um, human initiated contact or heist, you know, they'll be doing something and they'll have a camera running while they're doing it and they won't see anything with their eyes. And then they go back over the footage and there's something there that the camera caught that they didn't. So I have a kind of a question about that. What sort of, now where would that fit on the five observables? Something that could be seen with technology, but not by our own eyes. So the five observables are sudden Low and instantaneous. Did you, did you fit, did you, which one? Low observability. <laughs> Low observability. Okay. Yep. You're right. So, um, yeah, because it's just, we don't see a lot. And if these things are just light, um, we're not equipped as humans to just spot that. And um, it's, it's definitely interesting bringing up that point because you don't really know what's happening around you if you think of it that way. And we've kind of thought that way before, I think, just being like UFO land. But, um, yeah, that's. That's crazy to think about that. You could just be looking up in the sky and these things, this phenomenon is happening all around us. But that's how it is, right? We've got Wi-Fi around us, all sorts of electromagnetic stuff happening. There's been times where I've been outside with my EMF reader and it starts going off and I can't find the source of it. And it's like, what is happening in that area that's changed since yesterday? And you can detect it with the equipment, but you can't see what's happening. What are your guys' thoughts on... Um, his so I like the way the book kind of started very like like almost scientific and then it slowly takes you out there. So for for my science guys here, um, what how did you feel about that buildup and his kind of thoughts behind the consciousness and the lights? I thought it was really good because it showed at the end and it, I, I'm not going to quote it because I can't think how he said it, but he says at the end when he starts discussing the consciousness aspect that he goes, you know. It may sound crazy and all the skeptics out there will be, you know, ready to pull this apart, but I'm not afraid to drop in every potential possibility 
until it's off the table. And, and again, I'm not quoting it, but it's basically saying I'm willing to put everything down there. However, unprobable, you know, improbable some of them may sound. It's got to be mentioned, you know, otherwise, you know, he's ignoring a portion of the data because it doesn't fit with a certain belief system or a certain narrative. And, you know, as anybody knows, any good researcher or investigator has to look at the data, all of the data and work with all of the data. So, yeah, I think it was a, a really good move, a really brave move, and it really paid off to add credibility to the book overall. I'm not ready to write off anything that's been said in this book yet, um, you know, without further investigation, without further sort of like, you know, time, um, because it's it's one of those things that is, you know, there's quite a lot of imponderables in there. There's a lot of stuff that, quite frankly, I can't get my head around. And there's some other stuff which, yes, okay, it makes complete sense. And then the rest of it's somewhere in between. But that's that's ufology for you. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a crazy subject. And this is just, again, this is just like another kind of, um, brick in the wall that makes up ufology and it it will account for a lot of things that people have seen these kind of transient light um you know phenomenon uh wh whether they are earthquake lights and whether they are um will-o'-the-wisps or whatever you want to call them even more lightning it it does make up part of the puzzle and i'm sure that people things that people have seen and actually some of the things that are reported in here you've seen in other ufo books reported as straightforward ufo as in craft whereas he makes a good argument as to what, you know, as to, to be something else. Um, he mentions about, you know, things that were seen in Wales on the hills. Dan mentions about Ripperson Farm and, well, and places in the so-called Welsh Triangle. And yes, you know, he mentions those in connection with these. He mentions Kenneth Arnold's 1947 sighting in connection with these. He has a, a quite a substantial part of one chapter where he goes through the elements of, of the case. And then he, 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 he well, he's he sort of suggesting because um, Northwest America and that Northwest part of the United States is quite a, um, an active a size, uh, you know, seismologic, uh, seismological area of, of kind of activity. But it, this could be a case of like the, um, some kind of light phenomenon, which is streaking across the heavens, which caught Arnold's eye, because that's part of the case where he was that, you know, the, it was to do with these things maybe moving about and, and the reflection of them that uh, caused him to see them. Um, and, uh, you know, Paul Devereux actually argues that actually it was to do with like kind of like strange lights appearing in the sky rather than, than structured craft. He might have a point, but then again, he might not as well. He might be just trying to sort of like um, kind of, you know, build a narrative for the rest of his book by using that because it's again, it's one of these gray areas. Um, and unfortunately, this is to me, this is where the book falls down. But that's the, the same right across other books as well. It's not particular to his book, nor his narrative. And it's where there's just enough wiggle room that you could say on one given day, if you have a particular bent in terms of this is how you feel the the, or the cases should be resolved by explaining them as this, then you could say, yeah, this explains it. You could have somebody else who takes the same data, comes up with a completely different conclusion, quite and still a valid one as well. So... Again, it's not a. This book is not a panacea for everything, you know, to do with ufology. This doesn't explain everything, um, but it might explain a very, very small percentage of them, including the ones that these two guys see out in South America. Yeah, just just to switch it back the other way. Sorry, Dan, is that it, he may be trying to uh, debunk's probably not the right word, but try and explain all the UFO things in a way that 
it's natural or something here. He does, like I said, he's not afraid to to offer up other potential explanations. And at one point he does say it is just about conceivable that an advanced species somewhere else may have such profound science that they could manipulate things here on Earth by you know, using focused power from wherever they are and suddenly appearing over here through these light phenomena, almost saying like they could be portals without saying they could be portals. So mm. he's really is, he's, he's talking about these things. He's not afraid to. So I will give him credit on that, that he does go both ways. He's just overwhelmingly on one side more than the other. But it's worth mentioning. So I loved, um, you said the ponderables in passing, Graham, and, and I love that. Dibs on the band name, and I think we should have like the five ponderables as well. Um, <laughs> ultimately, both of you guys are absolutely correct, right? Like the, the way that you kind of have to do these investigations is to look at the science, you, you gather the data, and you see if any correlations can be drawn. And even though in this book correlations are suggested, Graham's correct, like they don't fit everything. Um, because we don't understand this. And it speaks to the idea that, that you know, we, we call things the supernatural when really they're just natural, you know, and it's, it's our lens on it that, that kind of makes us see it that way. Um, and once science explains it, we will just see it as natural. Kind, kind of like, you know, Lou, Lou Elizondo, you always use the example of like the giant squid on the edge of the map. But at one point there was, you know, monsters be here, and now it's just oh, cool, sea life be here, and pay and do do a tour on a glass bottom boat, and you can go see it. You know, it, it's really blasé. The example I always like to bring up is um, the James Webb Telescope and how it saw uh, Uranus, and we're so used to seeing. Uh, I, I bet there are some snickers in the audience. We should change the name to Uranus, right? Um, how that planet has been there forever and we don't see any rings around it with our eyes. Yet, as soon as the James Webb Telescope looked at it in near infrared, we saw rings around it. And that was a revelation for people. There are rings around Uranus. Wow, they've always been there. It's just that we look at, look at your grin, Priscilla. Uh, it's always, it's <laughs> I, I, always I, I looked there. like in class, like I looked at Vinny and Graham and they were like, <laughs> That reminds me of a spit. That, that reminds me of a spitting image sketch from the nineteen eighties, where they were talking about Uranus, and um, they also the fifth moon of Uranus, which was Bum Holy. <laughs> yeah, they, they sorry, should, that was like a bad the, No, like it, it's like one of those universal things, right? It doesn't matter where you are in the world, you say that planet name, and everyone just kind of goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's been there forever. We only just built the eyes to see it. Um, and now we're kind of understanding it to some people who, who don't have access to that information. It's still this incredible thing. There, there's this whole section in the book where they talk about how life phenomena is through the ages and, and it adds, uh, uh, you know, some adjectives to, to each case and kind of says, you know, it's seen as supernatural or is it seen as a meteor falling out of the sky and things like that. And one of the ones I loved was where it talks about seeing these flaming dragons come out of the ground and rise up in the sky and then disappear. And even though they have that cultural lens on it, they still used it in a kind of seasonal sense for agriculture because they could see that, okay, if it's acting this way, if the light is doing this, it means that probably, you know, we should consider that a storm is coming or rain is coming and we can do X, Y, Z. So 
in certain areas, it certainly was treated like a natural phenomena, just like the changing of the seasons, where, where it could be relied upon as a kind of a, an, well, an omen slash sign that something, something in the environment was changing. So even though they called it a dragon, they, they still kind of had the reason behind it enough to be able to use it in their everyday lives. Absolutely. We see that like all around the world too, with these, with all sorts of, you know, anomalous phenomena from like God, the gods to dragon, right? Um, they relate to some sort of like seasonal change or weather change. And it just, I mean, but then sometimes they interact with people. So it's, you ha we really have to keep thinking of everything. Is there anything in the book that you really want to research into more now after reading the book, you know, because I feel like books like this, they just kind of like, they just like, you know, you get a little taste or something. And you're like, well, now I have to go research that for the next freaking <laughs> three months because it's, it's, you know, uh, it's interesting and there's more to it. And even though he's very thorough, each one of these chapters could, e could easily be a book if you think about it. So is there anything like that in the book that's make, made you like inspired, I guess? I mean, for me, it's literally just the continuation of the research that we did in Colombia last year with you, you yourself, Priscilla, joining the team in, what, three weeks, just over three weeks. It really is just a continuation of that. And there was one small part in the book. Uh, in fact, before I get to that, I'll explain when I saw the lights in Colombia. It was about 7.30 p.m. in the evening. That morning, we took a ride into town. I was It was just me and Ashley in, in his little wagon, car, van thing. And I said to him, there's something in the air feels different today. This, it was the end of the season. It was the season change, the end of the dry season coming into the wet season. And something felt different in the air. Then later that night, the lights appeared and we witnessed them. Now, in the book, they, dis they very briefly mentioned something called mountain peak discharge. And the only explanation they give is that it has long been known that certain mountains and ranges produce glows, columns and balls of light. Balls of light at sporadic intervals, especially after the long dry season. And of course that just went bang, hit me in the face and like, well, if that's not what I saw, then I don't know what it is. So these things just keep coming up for me and knowing that we're gonna be back out there in three weeks with all of this new information in my head, I'm just like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely interesting because we pick up on like changes, you know, there are changes in the atmosphere when rain's about to happen or like the weather is going to change and we don't give ourselves enough credits. So we don't give our body enough credit to recognize that. And our ancestors did this, you know, um, just like some people would walk outside and be like, it smells like it's going to rain, even though there's not clouds. And then the rain comes, the clouds come in later. Like there's, we have like spidey senses <laughs> and, yeah. and um, that's, you know, as much as I kind of was like butthurt that he decided to go with Kenneth Arnold and, and start saying they were just like, earth lights i was i made myself listen and i made myself read it and i was like man that kind of makes sense now now i'm kind of like that's the one for me because you know emotionally attached to kenneth arnold for obvious reasons <laughs> but um it's just we have to keep all of it on the table and as excited as you were when you saw the lights in columbia you still have to like play both sides you still have to you're allowed to be mesmerized by something that's prosaic as well and i think some people don't give that enough credit like it still is amazing that if it is just the, the earth doing its thing and our atmosphere interacting with these elements in the earth and these geo, you know, geological features, 
it's still an amazing thing to witness just like yeah. the aurora borealis like the first time i saw that i pulled over in alaska and i was like crying and i was like oh my gosh the planet's amazing like that's been so just i i think people need to remember that even if there is an explanation for something that you thought blew your mind it still blew your mind and it's still beautiful the way science can interact um different elements of the world can interact with different types of frequencies and and minerals that we have here and fall out from space it's just it's still amazing. So that's just my rant. But <laughs> no, no, it makes sense because if you've got science at one end and the things that we know that, that have been studied, then you've got UFOs right over here. This phenomenon we're discussing at the moment is, sits somewhere in the middle. That is so little has it ever been known about it, been researched because it always gets dragged back into the fringes. I'm just going to read this quote here, which really again stood out to me: that the light phenomena it, it begins to be separated. Uh, from the camouflage of possibly related and somewhat different light phenomena, but all, uh, become swallowed up by that voracious and ill-disciplined monster, the UFO. It always gets dragged back into the UFO law, and it really needs to be dedicated and focused on separately from science, well, with science, but from UFOs and in this new new zone that we want to uh, take it forward. I imagine it's kind of part of what, you know, we saw uh, Abby Loeb and Sean Kirkpatrick release the paper this week and kind of say, uh, you know, these are the bounds of known physics and anything outside of this is truly anomalous. Um, and this is kind of what we have to do here. We've got to figure out what's possible to understand what's possible. We can't just keep going back into these, as McQuest likes to call them, low information zones and just relying on them to, for, for the mysterious. That low information zone is full of unknown phenomena, unknown effects, and quite frankly, some things that we're never going to know. Like the, the Kenneth Arnold stuff was, it blew my mind because, you know, I, I worked with Graham and Ula to, to pick that site in and we, we looked through the blue book kind of a report and the early reports and things like that. And in my head before reading this book, I was like, yeah, they, they, you know, they were sources skipping along kind of thing. And now I'm kind of looking at them with a mind of, okay, could they have been some natural phenomena interacting with uh, the electromagnetic fields and kind of bouncing along them instead of, you know, employing this kind of crazy propulsion. Um, and either one for me is incredible. Like I said earlier, this, this could very well be one of the next unknown propulsion systems that we just don't understand yet. And, it will probably take the form, you know, kind of breathing around ball lightning and kind of the, the things that it does, because there has been work done on it scientifically, even though we don't, even though we don't understand it. Uh, you know, you look at Hutchison effects and things that are called kind of, um, there's so many different names for them, uh, but they all seem to, and I'm going to just pull something in that I haven't seen mentioned in the book. Um, they all seem to do what we would refer to as transmuting matter, which is just basically alchemy. You know, we, we have these reports of these kind of giant light balls dropping material out of the bottom of themselves. Now, if there's a light ball in the air pulling elements and kind of compressing it to, to levels that are just, you know, humanity can't achieve, then it's perfectly possible that there is this mechanism within that ball to kind of do these things that right now we see as a miracle. Really, a miracle is just science that we don't understand yet. And we, we have to remember that even the scientists can, can be wrong or can step on each other. Just think of Galileo and how that stuff progressed. You know, it, it ultimately wasn't Galileo that 
that um, that convinced the church that he was right. It was someone else. Many years later, uh, you know, they brought it in and they finally put Galileo's book on the shelf and said, actually, he was right. And, and now we finally have a way to explain it that isn't kind of, you know, sacrilege to, to the church. And you can kind of incorporate it into, into the known worldview. The, the way that society advances along with this knowledge is absolutely fascinating. And, and it's such a part, it was such a deep integrated part of, of the conversation. Um, for me, I, I would love to, you know, research the, the phenomenology of experiences of, of UAP, UFOs, ball lightning, all that kind of stuff, but also just keep gathering data on this phenomena. And, and I've, as I was reading this, I was just like, oh God, like roll on Columbia, because this is one of the sites where we see this phenomena happening. And we essentially stand to put a flag in it and say, hey, you know, scientists, if you're interested in this and you want more data in this, this is where you should be setting up. I think this is something that comes out from reading the book, or, or at least half the book that I've read so far, plus talking to the you know to the likes of these two guys, is that it's such a shame that scientists on mass haven't actually got involved in researching things like this, because it's such an interesting kind of topic anyway, and it, it has so many kind of maybe applications, if you like, who, who knows what it could be, if it's harnessed, if it can be harnessed, it could be used for. But it's also, it almost seems the reason why that isn't the case is because it's wrapped up in the kind of UFO law. Um, obviously, the, the, the authors do, uh, try to do a good job of actually separating the two, but they are constantly interlinked. Um, and it's the kind of thing that, you know, on its own would make an excellent kind of BBC Horizon documentary back in the, in the, in the 80s or 90s. You know, a, a team of scientists looking at this kind of strange transient light phenomenon, you know, on top of mountains or coming out of fissures in the ground or, or whatever, um, and, and, and presenting as, as balls of light. And you can imagine the kind of interest a documentary just with that kind of scope and those, and that, those kind of limits would be it would still be really entertaining it would still be really interesting and it would you know it, it would set the world on fire in terms of what you know what could be possible uh, and, and just this kind of new thing that people would discover whereas because it's got a, a kind of this kind of like you know, sort of flying saucer quality about it as well because it's all wrapped up in the same sort of thing people just don't touch it you know it, it's uh, it's you know it's beyond the pale kind of stuff so unfortunately if you could separate those two things apart you might be able to get more people involved in it. And I think it is definitely something that it should be much more um, kind of, you know, sort of looked at uh, scientifically uh, to, with, a, with a view of trying to understand some of it, at least, if not all of it, because it, it's an absolutely fascinating kind of, you know, topic. And just listening to these guys and not just seeing the documentary, but actually talking to them, you know, the, the two of them themselves afterwards uh, and, and you know, all the kind of things they saw and the things they, they simply can't understand themselves. It, it, it's something that definitely bears much more examination. It made me think of, um, you guys are familiar with the late uh, Nikola Tesla. Uh, he, he might be known by some people in the comments. But at one point, Tesla, for all of his genius, he, uh, he picked up some radio signals from space. And he declared that he was communicating with extraterrestrials from Mars. Now we know that what he was picking up actually was a natural phenomenon given up by planets and supernova and things like that that they produce radio waves and it doesn't take away from the work that he did but it certainly kind of you know he was the first person to pick up that phenomena had he had modern day instruments he would have figured it out in a heartbeat yeah. and it would have upended science anyway 
thinking about when this book was written, and there's a few points in the book where, where Paul does say, you know, we tried to get data for an area and the data wasn't, um, you know, precise enough for us to draw conclusions. Now, I can just jump onto Google Earth and overlay an electromagnetic map or gravity map or, you know, cosmic ray map that people back in the past didn't even have any idea existed. And we can compare this data. So we stand in, in a really great spot in terms of like pulling this work forward. I, I would love to see an updated version of this book or like Graham said, you know, a, a BBC Horizon type documentary that just kind of lays this out and kind of paint, paints a, a really uh, compelling picture for this stuff existing and, and even to draw scientists in. I, I would love to hear what Abby Lawler has to say about the phenomena, but you know, I'm just gonna say as a side, I would hope that he would inform himself about it before uh, speaking. It's thirty-four years old. That book, by the way, just 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 to you know, just. I was just thinking the same yeah. thing. I just checked. <laughs> thirty-four. I, I was gonna. I was gonna say nineties, and I realized nothing. Nineteen eighty-nine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but still, yeah, think like, about like the little advancements show. that have been happening with like um, analysis, um, just mm -hmm. with getting more people having access to internet um, and satellite images and different types of maps that are kind of out there in the public now. That maybe they didn't do it in the past because they didn't think there'd be interest like you said like you know like the like the space noise but i still think that it's cool that we can experience something perfectly prosaic find out what it is and think back to like nick think about how inspired nikola tesla was by that even though like he's probably you know we're if we told him now he'd be like oh wait what you know <laughs> but but just the inspiration that comes from seeing like natural things that seem supernatural, that are actually just natural and unknown to us. Um, so I just, you know, we have to maintain a sense of wonder. Even scientists realize this, you know? And Avi Love talks about that. And when in his book too, he talks about like maintaining that curiosity of a child. But even if we know what it is, it's still very inspiring. Cause yeah. how cool is that? You know, that we're picking up on sounds from space, like, and we can just do that. Just like you said, overlay a map. Just like that, you know, um, it's just it's just wild. I think we didn't have that even like, you know, as accessible when this book was wrote. So Written yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it kind of makes you wonder, you know, in 50 years in the weather reports on daily on the news, are we going to get, oh, we're actually moving through the torrid meteor stream and therefore the cosmic rays are going to be increased and we might be feeling a little depressed. Like, is, is that kind of where this is all going? <laughs> Could very well be. You know, we, we don't know. This stuff affects us on, on an electromagnetic scale. And there are all these forces in the universe that we keep discovering. And I, I think it was like 94, 95% of, of the universe is unknown to us. You know, we just call it dark matter. They the expansion of the universe is dark energy. And there are genuinely interesting phenomena there that science needs to understand. And, and yeah, they'd be monsters, but there also be solutions. Very interesting. You mentioned, you know, um, how it affects us, like our body. Some people think that's very like woo, but there are physiological effects reported from earth lights, right? That people come into like close proximity with it. And it makes sense, you know, it's just another form of energy, like traveling through our sensitive little bodies and even electromagnetic energy. What holds molecules together? together? You know, um, it's all electromagnetic. And I was, actually was just talking to Deb about this earlier today because I had coffee with her from Deb's Data Dojo. And we were talking about um, like neurotransmitters being affected by um, electromagnetism and how like literally le like neurotransmitters you think are only in your brain, but they're everywhere. 
Like you literally need them everywhere to talk to your brain. So um, we were we were talking about that earlier. So it's interesting you bring that up and you were talking about the physiological stuff that happens earlier. We just don't know, you know, and it's not ethical to expose somebody to like, like, oh, there's an earthquake, go stand on the mountain. There might be, <laughs> there might be some, you know, earthquake lights happening, see what happens to you. But it's definitely yeah, I, I, we, hear it. we hear it with regard to just to bring up uh, a case that is on everybody's mind right now, Chris Bledsoe. He, he always says he has a feeling when these things arise and then he goes outside and there they are. Some people have kind of called it uh, a euphoria, but you know, he needs it. Kind of, kind of. And that could just be that, you know, if they're within a certain range of this phenomena, they, they you know, hackles go up and they know that uh, they, this process is going on. Yeah, I was just going to say as well, I think it's worth mentioning that since Graham mentioned the, the age of the book, 34 years, and this is something that still to this day is unknown and hasn't really been studied in the, well, there's certainly not much in the public eye. Before the book was published and, and following the publishing of the original book, Earthlights, in 1986, our good friend and colleague, Dr. David Clark, uh, and his friend Andy Roberts set up Project Pennine, which is one of the chapters in the book. Now, that is an, air, an area of the Pennine Hills in England that they split into six zones and collected testimony and data uh, from that area. And, you know, we have a, a baseline already set out for us that we could continue to work on now. And I'm just so surprised that it hasn't been done in all these decades. And so, you know, it's got my brain wearing and thoughts ticking that maybe now is the time to pick up where they left off and you know i've had conversations with david not only on my youtube channel but privately many times you know with a, a glass of wine and po postulating all the possibilities of what these things are and i mean i just think you it's don't time drink to... wine <laughs> you don't have to lie that'd be cool no empty bottles i mean if only there was somebody if only there was somebody out there that you know had the ambition to do something like that I don't know, I don't Dan. Know. Don't you think? I live in the Pennines now. I live at the top, you know, the top end of the Pennines. So, oh, wow. Um, it, 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 yeah. Cool. So, did you, you know, read the Pennine chapter yet? Well, funny enough, I have done. And um, because of the, I don't know, the limitation, the, the limitations of where they looked at, um, the bit I live in is actually just off the top of the map. It's still in the Pennines, but not quite in the areas they looked at. But I think as they got progressively far, further north, it was either because they ran out of kind of people to look at that, those areas, or they didn't get up that area that much because the constant uh, Dave lives down near um, he lives near Vinny and Sheffield, so that's further down the the, the bottom end of the map. So yeah. I think there were, you know there were less reports because they did less. Um, investigation further north but things happen around here i mean this is a quite a, a, geogra um, a geological area as well and there's certainly a lot of mining minings took place around this area lead mining and quarrying and all the rest of it and it's quite an interesting geological area anyway um so you get a lot of rock hoppers up this way um you know looking at things so i'm, I'm i wouldn't be surprised if i delved into the folklore of this area i'd find you know similar kind of stuff like that uh, and, and you mentioned before about are well, these things that you'd like to look into and i think that got my mind going so i might just ask a few people around hmm, here I'm gonna call, if anything happens yeah i'm gonna call that a synchronicity because all of a sudden you're there and there's cool things to research so you don't have to comment on that because I don't want to know. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's super cool. Wow, you just like kind of came up with another project for yourself. I know you do a lot of volunteering. As if I haven't got enough already. You're all over the place, though. You, you're, you're, I always see you 
um, out and about doing cool things. So <laughs> it kind of speaks to the opportunities in this area as well. Like everyone kind of wants to go out and research UFOs, but the truth of the matter is, you just have to research the data no matter what it's called. Whether it's a flaming dragon in the sky or bull lightning, or will of the wisp, or someone thinks they saw Mary Magdalene, you know, all of this is data and you have to collect it. And I'd be really curious because now, now we have methods of communication that we just didn't have back in the 80s when these guys put this together. So, you know, if Graham kind of put out a call, you probably get emails and all sorts of things like photographs, you know, all sorts of things that just they wouldn't have got back in the 80s. So, yeah, I, I, I wonder the depth of experience there in, in those areas that, that could be uncovered in the modern age as opposed to what, what it was in the 80s. Do you guys know um, if there's like a big database that's current for people seeing, you know, these sorts of lights that might be geographical or is it just kind of getting reported as UAP? Yeah, I mean, in England, it's definitely getting majorly reported as UAP. I know that, I mean, in theory, Project Pennine is still ongoing. Uh, to what degree, I'm sure is it's quite minimal, but... I actually, funnily enough, almost like a synchronicity, I, Andy Roberts, David's friend who he set it up with, came up in my recommended friends on Facebook today. So I'm actually going to reach out to him um, and see if I can get him and David together to, to go to go over it on, on my channels. But, that would be amazing. You know, not only to work off of this book and the work that they did before, but to actually collaborate with the people that did the work 34 years ago, uh, no, 38 years ago or whatever it was. I mean, it's just incredible opportunities to move it a step forward. And yeah, like I said, separate it from the UFO subject, but it's still an absolutely amazing phenomena. Right, right. And, and it's an anomaly in its own right. And see some, you know, it doesn't have to be a UFO mm. to be cool. Like, exactly. I know we're in the, it's, we, I know we're, you know, UFO people, but, oh, sorry, UAP people. I got <laughs> with me. I, got, <laughs> I forgot Graham was here. I got to be, I was kidding, Graham. I love you. <laughs> Um, but you know, we just have to like you, like there are so many mysteries in our own life and it, it's, it's just that I'm sorry, my mind's just like going. Cause I, I think it's another exciting thing. And just the thought of you picking up that research. So it just isn't sitting there. Like the, I'm sure things have happened between, you know, they, they just need somebody to look into it and to monitor it. Cause there's only a few people running that it sounds like. So I think more hands on deck would definitely be able to make the study continue in a more active way versus it's just like it's still there but we're not really sure so i'm, I'm glad you guys are inspired by that would it not be the, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world though if some of these you know some of the events that we talk about on a day-to-day -day basis would be you know could be explained by by earth lights of some description um we're all after answers to the things that we talk about and that we research and we read about you know so why we can't have these kind of sacred cows that they've got to be aliens or you know and i don't use that word very often but you know what i mean you know nhi non-human intelligence or, or whatever you know whatever your kind of particular you know sort of like field of you know research involves um we're looking for answers and if those answers turn out to be something else that's great because what it does is it narrows down the number of cases that we don't have a, a, you know explanations for and that's what everybody's wanting they're wanting to basically just like you know sort of shorten the numbers get the numbers down to a manageable amount because at the moment we've got a huge number of sightings that nobody can explain and if you can take a few of them off as yeah okay they've categorically been explained as as x and some more as why 
And then if it, it's proven that you can, with a little bit of application, a bit of effort and a bit of research, you know, sort of, you know, write some things off as, you know, something like this, then surely other people can come along with a bit of more enthusiasm and go, well, actually, it's possible to be able to explain these. And they'll find something else to explain something else as. And then we'll get to this little core of stuff that would say, look, this can't be explained by anything else but X, Y, and Z. Um, so, you know, just because they're not, you know, they don't turn out to be ET, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, and I think part of the excitement and and that of, of looking into these things is just figuring out the mechanism and what makes these things work. Yeah. Even if we don't get the answers, we're still working towards that goal and we can yeah. still move it further down the field. That is where the exciting, excitement comes in for me personally. And it's unknown. Anything unknown, I want to figure it out. And let's do it. It's, it's the application of all this for me that, that is really exciting. Like everything that you guys just said, absolutely. You know, it, it filters out that data pile so we know what's truly anomalous and we can apply that word properly. But just as an example, uh, fiber optics, we take that for granted, right? We all use broadband internet now. Uh, it's everywhere. At one point, that was like they don't in Mexico. technology. <laughs> no, they <laughs> um, but they are using Starlink in Mexico, which is like this whole other. That's so cool. Thing, I think right? that's so cool. And <laughs> um, fiber optics, we look to nature to make that better. We look at sea urchins that produce light and and send it through these these strands of hair, uh, an efficiency that we just haven't been able to achieve. So we look to nature, we find the mechanism, we make our technology better. Everything that we have was inspired by nature in some way or another. So the only thing really to do is to study nature and see what it gives us. It'll give us new science. It'll give us some more mysteries. And and I'm really excited that you're going to be coming with us to Columbia for some And I really hope you get to see something. And, and oh, so kind, kind of like you said about the Northern Lights it's still profoundly effective it even is, if it's yeah. something prosaic because it's this crazy huge mystery of new science how many people get to say that they witnessed new science you know yeah there's some some ball lightning better show up or I'm, i want my money back I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're gonna have to like um i don't know it's uh i really hope i see something but you guys saw it on the last night so i'm you know We'll see. And, and I will, one thing I have to say about that as well is like we, we captured the footage in high definition yeah. uh, and it was great and all that. But what was what I, I have to state is that being there in person, what I saw visually with my eyes can never be really portrayed properly on camera. It was it was really something to behold when you're literally stood directly in front of that peak witnessing oh, you something were all that freaking is... out on the on the you know on the last episode like I was freaking was... Out. and you know and they had lived there before and they'd seen it and they were still freaking out uh Ashley and his wife so it was like um it's just like you said it's, it doesn't matter sometimes if it's non-human intelligence or earth just doing its thing um it's still going to be beautiful and it's still going to be fascinating and you can't capture people keep saying oh we want more hd images we want more this we want more this but it's just going to be like a really big ball of light like it's still not going to cut through that light barrier right so that's another thing people don't quite under like forget to like talk about you know i don't want to say they don't understand it because i don't want to belittle anybody's intelligence sure. but you can yeah. take a you can have a great camera take a picture of a light bulb and it can drown it out depending on the wattage right and if you're looking at something super bright like you guys had, the close-ups, it's still going to be a ball of light. Like, yes. like, we don't have that technology to just be like, okay, let's go, like, you know, through the light and see what's in the middle or whatever. 
So it's, it's definitely interesting. And I'm, I'm really hoping to see some cool stuff. But if not, it's still going to be a very cool trip. And um, yeah, once, you know, once in a very, I don't want to say once in a lifetime, because I don't put limits on things, but it's definitely going to be new and exciting. I wanted to go back to some of the comments. There was a super cute one when we were talking about Uranus and how it had rains. <laughs> so, and Laura says someone liked it, so they put a ring on it. So now that's how that's actually how Uranus got its rings, guys. And then Christian said something which um, I haven't really looked into because I never thought of it until he said it. So we have um, NASA takes with balls of light in space. So that was, if that's something I kind of want to look into more. So thanks for bringing that up, Christian. Have you guys looked into those? Well, there we and know that the I... Sorry, go on. Go on. I was just quickly going to say we. <laughs> We're both far too polite. My mind's really short. I was just going to. You got to play paper, rock, scissors, to talk. <laughs> anything occurring in space is still going to be something extraterrestrial. So when you have Avril Haines saying. Maybe it's something that occurs extraterrestrially. This counts. Yeah, mine was really quick. I was just going to say that we know that the ionization in the atmosphere um, occurs and that these lights have been seen very, very high altitudes as well. So why limit it to the atmosphere? Why not out into space? If it comes down to the ground, why can't it go up as well? Uh, they also found, discovered some years ago a phenomenon where in uh, lightning storms, they found lights that went shooting upwards from the storms. Oh, the sprite. So and that was and that and that was something that wasn't even known about beforehand. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> look at these two. <laughs> no, I just thought you were doing upwards like so, that. So yeah, so uh, yeah, if you're listening to audio only, they thought Graham was flipping everybody off. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, subliminal messages, everybody. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think you hear. <laughs> but uh, no it was something that hadn't been discovered and nobody knew about until they actually captured it on film. So things like this can happen and nobody knows anything about them until they're suddenly discovered. And then you get people falling over themselves to try and explain what they are. And this is, again, this is something that probably should have those kind of people looking at this and going, yeah, we need to work this out. Absolutely. It's, we're studying everything else. So let's, let's figure out what exactly. this is. Cause like there could be applications. So if you're greedy and you have money, you could benefit from it. Um, so we, we can talk about this more, but we need to pick a book for next time. So it's probably not going to be April because I'm going to be like, create like, like two, like I have travel anxiety and I have ADHD. So like getting ready to go somewhere like a month in advance is like, that's it. That's all I'm doing. Like, I don't know who's going to clean the house because that's it. <laughs> I'm planning. I'm, I'm planning on my what I'm packing. Um, so um, April will be dead for me. Um, so we'll probably have book club in in May. So um, we have some time to read it when we get back or leading up to depending on how fast you read. But let's pick a book. Um, so I'm going to put loose threads in the hat again because I feel like that is just a great primer. There was a lot of work put into it. It's free um, and it's great. It's very detailed and I just want more people to read it because it's cool. Great, it's great idea. <laughs> they should put that out as a book, you know, just kind of they, compile it into an ebook and chuck it up on Amazon. And yeah, yeah, because you can access it, you know, through the article, but I mean, people will see it more. But I think they just wanted it to be super accessible right away. So that's very cool for all the work that went into it. So if you guys worked on release threads, thank you. Um, uh, okay, so Vinny. 
I'm going to choose Earthlights One. No, I'm not really. I'm not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Everything Earthlights. <laughs> I'm going to choose uh, Leslie Kane. UFOs, yeah. generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record. Ooh. It definitely needs a revisiting. I feel like I want to reread that one because yeah. it's. I read it a long time ago, and I feel like I just same. Sometimes you have to reread. Yeah, like, it's really a long good time though. ago. Yeah, it's a good okay. primer for anybody new in, into the subject as well. You know, it doesn't cover everything, obviously, but right. it's a good in point where people can then branch out after reading yeah. it. So there yeah. we go. Okay, I'm going to pick a contentious subject. Um, Ooh. Top secret oh. magic. Stanton oh, my Freeman. goodness. Oh, good yeah. Choice. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. MJ. 12 is one of those kind of um, subjects where, you know, it's Marmite, isn't it? Um, it's one of those <laughs> where you believe it or you don't, and there's no middle ground. Actually, there is middle ground because, like a lot of things, you know, if you want to lie about something, you, you basically hide it between two truths or yep. whichever way around you have it. But the jury's out on you know, whether how true it is. Um, now, Stan, you know, Stan basically, you know, comes out and says, you know, it's true. Uh, and that's his uh, his reasoning, and um, it's a good read. So put that in the definitely pinnacle. fascinating topic. All right, Dan, so you guys have all chosen like real things. So I'm going to go for a little fiction and just throw in three body problem. Yeah, because I think it highlights <laughs> some some really out there ideas about how other civilizations can influence us here on Earth. And yeah. how just just the knowledge that they exist. My copy somewhere else. I you know my husband. I got it for my husband because he's into all the weird sci-fi stuff, and I still haven't read it. And now he's watching the YouTube um... the series. Yeah, yeah. I'm on um, episode I'll, I'll simply say, I'll simply say that like be, be sure that um, like you know if your husband likes the weird stuff, read the whole trilogy because by the time you're in okay. book three, you're about 18 million years removed from the beginning oh, wow. of the story. And it gets really crazy and abstract, but uh, Chichin Lu still kind of tries to ground it in science. And so there are some really thought provoking kind of subjects brought forward. Um, you know, just thinking about how, how a civilization that can manipulate space and time, why would they even need a spaceship anymore? You, you know, like we're, we're really stuck in our kind of anthropomorphic reasoning. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, I put out that, that out there as just something a, a little different and thought provoking. I like that. I like that because we've been reading very like factual books or books that have like are heavy on research and that's great. Like we're here for that. But um, I think that there's some books that are out there that can like kind of have like the backing of science that make it very interesting because even the Tom DeLong books people love and based yeah. on. Right. So, um, yeah, let's do this. See which one. I want three-body problem, not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be curious to see what you thought of it after watching the TV show first. Yeah, well, yeah. Because I did it the other way around. Ooh, guess who won? Not Graham. Vinny. Graham. <laughs> not Vinny. Graham. Wow. So can you hold it up? So we got Top Secret. Does it have a lot? It has a long name, right? Top Secret Magic. I can't see what it says. Yeah, it's Top Secret Magic, uh, Operation Majestic 12, and the United States government's UFO co uh, cover up. Um, so it was written by Stanton T. Friedman, and uh, there's a forward by Whitley Strieber, Strieber cool. and it was written in 1996. But uh, there's another uh, issue in 1997, and then the uh, this version that I've got here was 2005. 
So Vinny, have we picked any of your books yet? Did that ever happen? Yeah, the last okay. one we discussed today. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought Dan. Yeah, I was going to give Dan yeah. credit for it. He wasn't even here. I'm just going to check that Stanton Friedman's not like 50 quid a copy, though. <laughs> All right. uh, Mark, well, this copy was a fiver. You can um, uh, oh, ten pounds. I give you a fiver for it, then, Well, I have got yeah, um, yeah. It's cool. Ten pounds. I have got a hardback copy as well, uh, which I got as part of the job lot. I, I bought a job lot of UFO books um, about a month ago on eBay for about fifteen pounds, um, and there was sixteen books in, in the job lot, and this was one of them, uh, the hardback version of it. So oh, cool. you can get stuff really cheaply on eBay. Yeah, definitely look at eBay. That, that's really cool. You you can get those uh, space shuttle pins as well on eBay. You know the the <laughs> those, those, those space shuttle pins. Yeah. You <laughs> feel like you pretend you don't about know where it came from later if you want. Um, what? <laughs> um, um, <laughs> so does anybody have any? Dan like... has just given everybody that. <laughs> <laughs> No comments. Um, <laughs> no more. I have nothing further to say on the spaceship pin. Anyways, um, do you guys have any closing thoughts on the book or anything at all? What are you guys doing next? Um, um, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I think anybody, like Graham said earlier, I think anybody should read the book. It really is. It just connects a lot of things that we've all thought about and discussed and researched for years. And it, it does, it doesn't take away from the UFO subject. It builds upon it, in my opinion. It, it adds more possibilities and, yeah, just, just go and read it. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliantly written um, as far as what's, what's coming up next. Um, oh, so much. I guess Columbia. Three, three, just over three weeks. We'll all be there. I'm going to be doing Howard some live streams. Oh, yeah, I'm on talk radio with Howard Hughes tomorrow <laughs> night. I'm actually speaking at UFO Expo virtually tomorrow night as well. So, yeah, just so much. Just so much. I love so it. To, I love go it. Go to his uh, Instagram, guys, and you can see everything Vinny's doing. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, uh, as Vinny says, you know, buy it, read it. Um, it's thought-provoking, if nothing else. So it's worth buying and obtaining a copy and, and reading it for that, that reason alone. As for what next, well, um, I've got a new book coming out shortly. Um, uh, Dan is still busy with the artwork, and, and Ulaf is busy with the artwork. So as soon as it's done, um, it'll be out. So that's great. Uh, so something to look forward to. And then um, three months from now, or three and a half months from now, Vinny and I are off to the States. Yes, right, uh, to, to speak Roswell? at Roswell. So that's at Roswell, cool. yeah, that's right. So we're looking, really looking forward to that, aren't we? Oh, God, can't <laughs> wait. And Dan will be there. We're meeting Dan there. And Dan will Everybody's be there as well. Yeah. Oh, wait, there. yeah, yeah. I do, whether you're out there before us, Dan, or you're leaving England with us, I think everything's a bit up in the air, isn't it, right now? Yeah, want. exactly. <laughs> just... <laughs> I, I'm kind of in this this flux where I'm kind of listening to where the universe wants to be, I'm following the synchronicities. I will say, Starry Night with Van Gogh is just following me. It's even here on the front of the door. Very um, cool. It's a little crazy, but um, but yeah, I, I would recommend everyone read this book. You know, challenge yourself, challenge your beliefs, even if it doesn't kind of fit your puzzle pieces. It doesn't mean that it's not part of the bigger puzzle. The universe is just bigger. What was that? That definitely, that definitely is like a streamyard situation because it happened mm. to all of us. 
I'm feeling dizzy. I'm feeling dizzy now. Your beautiful Whoa. message got like glitched out, and we all started glitching. So it must have been really powerful. You want to try and say that again? The universe. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, oh man, it was an in the moment thing. I know. Uh, it sounded just, really just good. Keep, keep keep your mind open and explore things that challenge you because the, the universe is just bigger than any of us. I love it. I love it. And universe, I want to go to Roswell in person. So find me a job so I can go. <laughs> okay. All the universes. Um, I don't have anything to sacrifice anymore, but you know. So on that note, I have absolutely nothing going on because I have to like mentally prepare to leave my family, which I'm excited, but also freaked out about because like I've been with my babies since they were born besides like New York trips, which is like what, two days. So <laughs> so I'm mentally preparing for that and um, doing absolutely nothing. I'm finally not sick. So I'm just, I'm probably gonna be around, but not doing anything productive. <laughs> besides, I'm gonna be doing more research for Columbia. I'm gonna be doing that probably, um, getting ready to it. So that's where my focus is right now. And also on some other research I'm doing to do a virtual speaking at the Roswell thing. So that's what I'll be doing. If anybody, you guys know where to find me. Um, yep. And guys, hang out afterwards. Everybody in the chat, thank you so much. I see Nathan. Uh, Nathan, uh, Deb told me that you you chose to go watch a movie instead of being here. I'm just kidding. He didn't read the book. So, um, And then we're like, come anyways. He's like, oh, I might not be back in time. Um, yeah, so um, we look forward to seeing you next time, Nathan. You saw what we're reading. Everybody in the chat, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate everybody that hops on here and hangs out in the chat. I love I love being in chats when I get to to hang out with everybody. And I love that people have so much to add. And everybody was very well behaved today in the chat. Everybody gets, you guys get to be on the uh, green part of the behavioral chart, like the, the good boy, good girl chart. So good job. <laughs> and I'll do, see do, you does everyone get a star sticker? They do. I'll make a chart for my people that show up every month. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. Everybody hang out afterwards that's uh, on the panel. And everybody else, I will see you soon. Thanks again. Share, like, subscribe. I'm almost to 1,000 subscriptions on YouTube. So get me there just so I could be like, yeah, I did it. Have a good one.